You're listening to the GNU World Order episode 30 of season 13 for day 202 of year 2019. My name is Klaatu. In this episode, we're talking about PASS. P-A-S-S. It's the simple Unix-style password management system. And I guess I'll go over the reason I needed it first. Then we'll take a coffee break. A, sorry, very special coffee break. And then we'll talk about how to use PASS and how to get it integrated into your system and so on. So here's the problem, dear listener. First of all, I had no idea how bad it had gotten. I'll just say that up front. You see, I was at work, and there was a computer that I needed to install uh, Fedora onto. So I installed Fedora, and and first of all, I'll I'll drop this in here for free. Uh, The workstation installer for Fedora does not give you an advanced button when you're creating... Well, it doesn't even ask you to create a user. Which, I think, I mean, so, not creating a user during install is actually quite nice. I mean, on the one hand, it is quite nice, because you are you know you're waiting for the thing to install anyway, so you may as well create a user. That makes sense to me. For whatever reason, they've moved it to, after you reboot it, the, the first login is automatic, and it's into this temporary user that then prompts you to create a username and password and so on. Which, I have to admit, is kind of slick. It gets you out of the installer really, really fast. And if we're assuming, and I think it's a general, I think it's generally a safe assumption, and I think it is what we assume, that users, one of the big, um, one of the, the, the blockers to people moving to Linux is that install process, because nobody installs an OS anymore. It just isn't done. And I, I'm not even 100% sure, but I, not even sure how often it was done, you know, back in the 90s or whatever. I mean, people people did it, but it was always kind of the resident geek who did it. That that friend of yours who was the geek who knew how to do that sort of thing. You know, I mean, heck, I was one of those people. I made a lot of, not a lot of, but I made a, a meager living off of being the computer guy in the neighborhood and doing all that stuff. So I don't know how often people did that ever. And I, and I think that continues today. So getting people in and out of the installer really, really fast is not the worst idea. So I, I sympathize with that decision. But it is uh, puzzling that they removed the ability to set your user ID, for instance, and your group ID, and and whether or not you want that user to be the administrator and all this other stuff during that first creation process. Um, and it... Kind of, yeah, it was a little bit of a drag. So what I did eventually was I didn't install the workstation image at all. I downloaded the server image, or the installer for the server um, profile, and installed my Fedora from from that, which was better. I mean, it didn't install a desktop, for instance, but that, that wasn't really a problem for me. It just, it was not an option, which I remember... Back when I was installing Fedora as a server at a, 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 a like a test server back at an old job, I thought how odd it was that when you installed the server, it defaulted to a GUI desktop. Like it really expected you to have that, and now it's the exact opposite. So the the server one gives you a lot more options during install time. It lets you set your UID and your group ID and uh, do all the quote unquote enterprise login stuff that you ha- may have to do. If you're looking for a 
maybe a more robust kind of install process, the way to go is server and then kind of build it yourself. So anyway, that's a, a little hint about installing Fedora from, from I guess, now until, until something changes. And I had installed Fedora back, back onto my, my original point and went to uh, in, import some stuff that I needed into this this computer. And one of the things that I needed was this password, this this JSON dump of passwords and usernames from my from another machine for for Firefox for for internet stuff. So so I should actually back up. In order to get this JSON dump, I had to jump through hoops. Uh, Firefox has apparently lost the ability to export passwords, which is to me outrageous. Uh, when an application ingests data from a user, and I've said this before on this show, I think, then that application's really primary concern, like it's it's the very top duty that it has, is to make sure that that data is safe. That's that's what an application is. That it, it that data isn't that application's. It's the user's data. You are keeping that data for that user. So. If the user ever wants it back, you should be able to deliver it back. That's just that's that's the theory of computing, right? I mean, that's what that's what computers are for. That they, they they take data in and then they give data out. And and it shouldn't be the the case that we give a computer data and it just makes off with that data and never we never see it again. So the fact that Firefox couldn't export passwords disturbing me greatly, but I thought, well, surely if I can find an extension for Firefox that, that can export the passwords, I'll be able to then find an extension that imports the passwords. So I found this little Python script on GitHub that would analyze the keys3.db and dump the little SQLite database of usernames and passwords that Firefox uh, maintains into a plain text JSON file. And then I took that JSON file over to the new install and set about trying to import it into Firefox. And try as I might, dear listener, I could not get the file to be imported into Firefox. I just couldn't do it. I tried extensions and they were out of date. They wouldn't work. They would error out and tell me that no keys 4.db was found or something like that, and so it couldn't import into keys 3.db or something. I don't, I don't even know anymore. It was so confusing and so, uh, well, really frustrating because, first of all, I didn't have all day for this process. This was supposed to be a quick thing, and that was not turning out to be the case. And and it just seemed like there, I mean, there was, I found an open bug on Mozilla about this 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 issue that this that this was a feature that had been dropped from Firefox and that it shouldn't have been dropped but but some people thought it should be dropped and and on and on so the, with no no solution in sight i started investigating weird hacks around this problem and i thought well maybe if i could go out to chrome which i wouldn't use in real life but i thought maybe if i could go out to chrome and import the Firefox passwords and username into Chrome, then I could start Firefox with a fresh profile and prompt it to 
import settings from another browser, that being Chrome in this case, and then that would be like a weird roundabout way to get the passwords in, you know, so switching to Firefox by way of Google Chrome, in other words, which is silly. So, and it's not even switching, it's, it's, it's staying, it's staying on Firefox by, by, by switching for 10 seconds to Chrome and then switching back to Firefox. So that was my idea, and I, I couldn't make that work either, to be honest. It just wasn't something that, you know, Chrome didn't want to recognize whatever I was giving it, if I recall correctly. So that, that didn't work either. Uh, and, and finally, I, you know, as I scanned the internet instead of doing anything actually useful for, for information on this, this horrendous, what I felt horrendous bug, I kind of, I, I realized that what was, what appears to be going on is that the browsers, the internet browsers that exist right now and are certainly that are officially supported by any kind of enterprise organization, they, they apparently are moving very, very firmly to an account-based system. So for Chrome, you can, it is expected, as I understand, that you sign into Chrome with your Google account, and, and, and then all your passwords live in, in Chrome, in your Google account, you know, and, and that's just kind of, it's so convenient and super easy, and it's great, and it just works, and it's wonderful, and, and if you go to someone else's Chrome, then you can sign into that Chrome session with your identity, and there's all your passwords. I mean, it's, it's like magic, right? It is the future come alive. Firefox apparently is doing the same thing. You, they, they expect you to sign up for a Firefox account, and, and then that sort of manages your profile for you, and it, it creates this entity for you and, and an object in code that represents everything that you do online and so on, and you've got all the passwords and usernames all in the Firefox account, and isn't it wonderful? So obviously, why would you ever need to export or import this data? Obviously, Mozilla is holding it onto you to keep it safe for you, just like Google is keeping your data in Chrome safe for you. So we're all very, very, very lucky to have these organizations and corporations um, to to protect us and to hold onto our data for us. And yet, I just, for some reason, don't want to get involved in that. So. I realized that the the answer, the ultimate answer, was to either stop using internet browsers or stop using these particular internet browsers. And I knew that um, Chromium, no, not Chromium, yeah, Chromium and Brave and Vivaldi and half a dozen other browsers out there use WebKit or KHTML, and so I, I kind of didn't feel all that great about switching to them because I anticipated that the problem was going to be similar. I know that Vivaldi technically has did have a way to import and export passwords, but it was through this weird uh weird sort of back-end hack that you would have to do. You had to sign into, you know, that configuration side of the browser and then you had to import you had to install a Chrome extension that Vivaldi natively doesn't want to accept because it it's Vivaldi, not Chrome, right? Yeah, sure. But you can still install Chrome extensions and then you could you could somehow and that would enable the 
export and import control panel. So it's literally there. It's just not enabled. So you just enable it, and then you can do what you need to do. I think it might only be exporting, though. I, 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 once again, I think you can't import for some weird reason. Um, and maybe it's changed. You know, who knows? I, I don't know. I haven't. I didn't look. Um, I, I just got. I, I basically. This is not a story of of me being an investigative journalist or technologist and and really trying all avenues. This is much more a story of me trying to get back to work in the course of a day and having to take a three-hour detour down Firefox uh, and and Chrome and modern browser warfare. So possibly Brave or Vivaldi would have worked for me. Maybe Falcon would have worked. Maybe, uh, what is it, Qt's? I've just forgotten the the name of that other one. But anyway, all the other little browsers, you know, I could look into those and I and I may yet. But I think the lesson that I've learned here, the hard lesson that I've learned is that the the answer is to just manage your own darn passwords, really. It it doesn't it doesn't pay to trust the 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 application that you're using with your password. And frankly, I knew this a long time ago, and I know many of you already knew this. And you, some of you have even told me this. You've told me, not in so many words, but you've, you've hinted to me that, hey, Klaatu, you should use KeePass. It's a really cool application. And, I mean, look, episode, literally, episode 23 of Hacker Public Radio. Oh, surely I mean 1,023 or, or 723 or 123, right? No. Episode, literally episode 23, was Stank Dog when he was still a, 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 you know, a, a, a host, when he was still doing things with Hacker Public Radio. So that's a long time ago. Episode 23, he talked about KeePass and how it was a really useful application and how everyone should, should use it. Now, and I've, so I've known about KeePass forever. And, and I've, I've willfully ignored it. And I'll tell you why. It's because I kind of missed the part where it was all locally, locally available or locally stored. I, I swear to you, I thought KeePass was a cloud-based service. I don't know where I got that into my head, but that's what I thought. Maybe there's an option to store it on a server somewhere. I don't know, but I, I really, really thought it was um, one of those things that was that sent passwords to the the internet. So that that's why I didn't use it. And um, sorry for not listening. That was kind of silly of me. So why isn't this episode about KeePass then? Well, the reason this episode isn't about KeePass is that I'm not using KeePass still. And the reason I'm not using KeePass is because it's in order to install it from what I could tell. And this could be, you know, maybe I'm not doing my homework very well. Um, but from what I could tell, it, it requires a bunch of sort of gooey... GUI components, and that for me doesn't necessarily hold a whole lot of appeal. I know that there is a, a terminal, a, a command a version of KeePass, but I, I wasn't clear on whether or not I could install just the command version of it, or if I had to get the, the GUI application itself, and then I also could have the command that came with it. I wasn't, I just wasn't super clear on that. And so ultimately I decided to go with this other one called Pass, or as the, as the, the website itself 
is named passwordstore.org. Passwordstore.org bills itself as a Unix-style password manager, meaning that it is a terminal command only. Um, there are, I say only, and yet there are extensions to it now that people have written that provides a GUI. But natively, pass is it pass follows the Unix philosophy. It does it does a very specific task, and it does it pretty well. And that task is it stores your username, password, and then associated URL in a PGP or GNU PG encrypted file. It allows you to search those files for a sensible result. And then it provides you, I mean, as long as you've provided the correct password uh, to, to, to get into your, to, to decrypt the GNU PG part, uh, it, it, it allows you to, to, to see the, the password and the URL and so that you can use the, oh, and the username, so that you can use that information to, to log in or to do whatever you need to do with that information. It is simple. It is effective. And I will explain how to start using it yourself after the coffee break. I'm going to go get a very special cup of coffee, and I'm going to tell you why it is so special after the break. I do have an amazing cup of coffee, and I'm, I'm finally going to tell you why it is such a special cup of coffee. This coffee was sent to me by a listener who shall remain unnamed, because I don't want to give the impression that you have to buy your way into New World Order, which I don't think this listener was trying to do. I'm just saying, I don't want to give that impression. I don't want to give the impression that I'm seeking gifts or anything like that. But this is from uh, the anonymous user, uh, a listener, who has who has sent me coffee. Klaatu, I wanted to send you something as a thank you for the podcasts and as sort of a housewarming gift, so I figured a gift card to a local coffee company that did mail order might work. No idea if this place will have anything that suits you, but anyway, see below, and hopefully the view gift card link works for you. It did. Thank you very much. Uh, sort of a weird purchase process for a gift card. I thought it would be... I thought it would let me put in your email address at some point as the delivery address, but it never gave me the option. Uh, just ask for the billing and contact information. Well, whatever you did, it worked. I got the, the gift card, and I went to the C4 coffee site and purchased a heck of a lot of coffee. I don't think I don't think this mystery listener knew how much he was getting me. I, I feel like possibly, um, probably he paid in U.S. dollars, I'm guessing. And U.S. dollars are stronger than New Zealand dollars, so he probably threw, a you know, some modest amount of money at this place. And then when it got to me, it probably effectively a lot more because I think this is how exchange rates work. Because I'm in New Zealand, so it goes farther. So yeah, it's pretty it's pretty great. 
Um, I got a, a little sampler pack of a bunch of different roasts, and then I got two, two or three big, big packages of, of beans uh, of the stuff that I kind of had a gut feeling that I would, I would enjoy, and I, I think I was right. Uh, I'm, I just started out on the sampler pack this week, and it's amazing. It's uh, just the smoothest roast uh, that I'm. It's this is called Crank. K R A N K. I kind of thought that was the appropriate one to start with. People who haven't been around all that long won't get that reference, but um, some of you will. So this is a crank. Uh, the this is the crank roast, I guess, and it is for the name being sort of an abrasive name. It's actually a really smooth cup of coffee, and anyone who knows um, the the coffee that I that I most love. They they know that that's that's really close to to what I've just described this as. Uh, C4 specifically calls it uh, smooth and nutty with a full body, medium roast. And I would agree with that description actually. It is it is smooth and nutty with a a full body. I guess I don't really know what that means, but um yeah it's it's really it's a it's like a powerful cup of coffee, but just really really pleasant. So bravo for crank from C4 Coffee. I would recommend the C4 Coffee Company to you, dear listener, but unless you happen to be in New Zealand, I don't know that I have any listeners in New Zealand, um, then this probably isn't going to do you a whole lot of good. But it is it is quite a good cup of coffee, and I think the mystery listener, whose name has four letters in it and starts with a C, for the coffee. And I absolutely encourage everyone else listening, now or in the future, not to get me anything. That's not. It's not why I'm doing the show to receive things in the mail. Even as a, I mean, as a housewarming gift, that was really. I, I'll admit that was really cool. That was that was slick. That was as smooth as as crank. But uh, in general, let's not let's not make this a habit. It'll go to my head. We'll just we'll keep this as more like a once every ten years type thing. What you can do though is you can go to gnuworldorder.info and click on the book. On in the left column, and buy a copy. It's uh, it's about Lua, the programming language Lua, on on the Raspberry Pi, and it's a great little book. Really, it's it's a fantastic book. You'll learn a lot if you know nothing about Lua. You'll learn heck of a lot, and uh, and you'll be supporting a, a worthy author. Not me, of course, but I, I helped I helped edit the book and fact checked it and stuff like that. Okay, so let's get started with pass. Pass is a great little command. It's really, really nifty, is what it is, and and it is it's one of those things where I I very sort of literally was I was really close to thinking that this really needed to be a thing, you know? Like I mean, I knew that this thing was possible. I didn't know exactly how to implement it. And and this guy, whoever programmed it, I think uh, ZX2C4. Oh, that's weird. Wow, that's really weird. C4 is the last two digits of this person's name. The user, the, the listener, why do we keep calling him a user? The listener who sent me the free coffee, his name starts with a C and has four letters in it, C4. And the coffee company itself was called C4. That's pretty strange. Uh, anyway, if anyone knows of like a two two-digit lottery system that I should be playing with C4, let me know. Uh, so GPG2 
um, that, so pass. It's it's an interface to GPG, honestly, and and that part about it, that aspect of it, is exciting in itself because if you think about GPG, the complaint that everyone has about GPG is that it is that it has a horrible interface, and I used to kind of argue that point, uh, not kind of, I used to argue that point. I thought, you know what, it's not really that bad. And the more I sort of think about it, the more I'm realizing that actually it is pretty bad. I mean, I certainly, for instance, I mean, now, admittedly, I don't use GPG, and this is probably part of the problem. GPG is something that you don't use that often, right? Like your your general use pattern of GPG is that you set it up, you import the keys that you know are out there that you need, and then you kind of forget about it because it, it interfaces with whatever mail system that you're using or, or you know whatever you're using it for. You just kind of you learn those three commands that you need, and then that's it. And then comes the day that you realize, oh, I have to do. I wanted to go to that key signing uh, event. So then you realize, oh, I have no idea how that works. So you have to go and study up on that. Okay. Then you get a new laptop one day, and you realize, oh, shoot, I have to export all this stuff and import it to my new uh, profile or whatever. So you go read up on that. You know, and, and in other words, you, you're, you're learning GPG over the course of a, a ridiculous 20-year period, which really you ought to have learned it sooner and in a much more condensed time frame. But there's just never a reason to, to, to internalize those commands. And the other, the you know, the the counterpoint to that would be something like Git, which I use every day, all day, every day, all day on personal, at work, it, it doesn't matter, all the time. And I know it really, really well. I feel pretty darned confident on Git, to be honest. Which which is weird to say because I I I don't usually say that I'm really confident on on a command, you know, because I I always feel oh there's so much more to learn, and there is yet more to learn about Git, but. Every time I've come up against a wall involving Git, I've been able to get over that wall, whether it's my own problem, like something that's happened on my computer, or someone at work asks me. I'm just It seems to be a consistent thing. So whatever Git does, that's working, whereas whatever GPG does apparently doesn't work so well because I'm there, I can count on maybe one hand probably how many times you could – how many times I think – I need to run a GPG command, and then I just run the command. No, no, that doesn't happen. Usually, it's I need to run a GPG command. Oh darn, man, GPG, read, 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 and then you finally kind of figure out what you need. And I just piped GNU. I just piped man GNU GPG through PR for kicks, and it's 58 pages long. So it is not a short read. It is a very long read, and it's not easy. So the fact that Pass is able to deliver an experience, a, a GPG-based experience that is that is quite pleasant, and I wouldn't say intuitive, but but it's it's close to being intuitive. Like you, you kind of get the feel for it pretty quickly. You know, you you kind of you get you get its structure, and from there you uh you, you can generally you can generally latch on to the the things that you that you need. 
and if you need help, I mean, the, the past dash dash help is actually a viable screen to, add, to, to read. It's not something that's impossible to, to process. That's, you can actually, you can figure that out. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the, about the, the process of, of pass. I'm, I'm excited with the design of, of password store. All right, so password store, you can install it from, it may be called just pass, or it may be called password store. I've seen it both uh, on Slackware, it's password store, but on uh, Fedora, it is pass. And I think on other, on most systems, I think it's called pass, because that is the name of the command. But the project name technically is password store, and that's why Slackware, or Slack builds rather, has that um, listed as password store. So once you have it installed, you, you first need to get your, your GPG fingerprint. So your GPG fingerprint you can get from gpg-fingerprint, and then whatever email you have listed in, in your key. Now you may only have one email listed in your key. You may have many. I have many. You just kind of need to know what your key is, what your own key is. If you do not know that, you can get that information from gpg-list-secret-keys. And that shows you the, the secret keys contained in your key ring, or secret key, possibly singular, it depends on, on what your setup is. And with that information, now you can see the, the email associated with that GPG key. So now, using that email we can do gpg dash dash fingerprint and then the email associated with the, the the key that spits out a pretty long string that says key fingerprint it is something like uh let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten it's 40 characters long on on at least on on my system. I don't know if the algorithm that you created the key affects that at all. I haven't really looked into that. But the actual part that you need is just the last eight digits. So the last two two couples of four. It's also, if you look, you'll see that it is that that's actually that's the finger that that's the short fingerprint listed at the very top of this of, of that of that listing. Which I never knew. I always thought that the fingerprint, you, in order to get the fingerprint, you had to look at that first line, which tells you sort of the the uh, the algorithm, like is it 1024D or is it 4096R, I think that's DSA and RSA respectively, and then slash and then some string, some eight string number, and that's your fingerprint. Well, it is, but that happens to be also the last four digits of this big long key fingerprint. I never knew that. Um, I, I mean, I don't, it, that doesn't really matter. It doesn't, it's, so it's in two places, big, big deal, right? Anyway, so we do pass, uh, and then we do init. See, I told you, that, that's, I feel like that's pretty intuitive right there. Pass init, um, and then you paste in your fingerprint so that it knows where to look for encryption purposes. It goes very quickly. It, all it does is create a directory in your home folder called dot password dash store and now you're using pass so the i will admit that the man page of pass is not is not the most 
it's not it's not exactly the I wouldn't have laid it out this way is what I'm trying to say. What I would have done is give somewhere some examples of kind of the the actual workflow that you would go through. So it does start with initializing your password store. So pass init and then the fingerprint. Oh, and actually it looks it looks like you could actually just use the key the the email associated with a key, a valid secret key. I didn't know that. I thought you had to do it with a fingerprint. I think on their website it says it has to be the fingerprint. But anyway, in the man page it tells you yeah, you can just use the email. And then the next example they give is list existing passwords. Well, I mean that's that's not going to work because I don't have any passwords on this machine yet. Yeah, it says pass, password store. Okay, so that, that doesn't work as the next step. The, the, actual, the actual next step that you're going to probably do is you're going to add passwords to, to, to pass. Interestingly, they don't give an example for that. So I think the assumption here is that you have gone outside of pass and imported uh, some set of passwords. And I think, in a way, that is a very reasonable expectation. And for me, that involved a lot of parsing of JSON, because I did have this password dump, and I had to get it into some format that pass would accept. Pass actually accepts quite a lot. Uh, again, not, not pass directly, but there are extensions to pass little sub-applications that you can install that interface with pass. And one of them was um, something like pass import or something like that. And and these are all on the website if you go to, to where it says the um, extension, uh, other clients and GUIs for other platforms as well as extensions for pass. And the extensions list, yeah, here it is, pass import. And it's this little, I think, probably a Python script, um, if memory serves, from from it's on github yeah it's on github no actually maybe it's no it is python yeah P python um so it and it parses a bunch of different i mean if you go to the the github repository for this thing it, it just it, it imports from i mean i can't even list them all apple keychain aegis one password chrome buttercup bitwarden chrome sqlite S uh, csv just generic csv dash lane encryptor in pass and so on so it just it goes on and on and on and on for a for two probably two two or three screenfuls of of things and yet one of them was not firefox believe it or not mozilla firefox not in this list so i had to go through and parse the the json file that i got out of pass uh, of firefox which had a lot of extra information and then I had to do a little bit of reverse engineering in terms of what Pass actually wanted from me. The first, the first attempt that I made, I had somehow entered it in 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 such a way that that Pass was was using the username for the password and the password for the user, or or something even more bizarre than that. Possibly it might have been using the URL for the username and then the the username for the password or you know it was clearly offset a little bit in ways that i did not intend and i guess part of it was i i didn't quite understand the the organization of it because my initial import was was so poorly done again because it was this it was this firefox json thing that passed the the pass importer didn't actually recognize 
So I was sort of trying my luck with pretty sort of, you know, oh, I'll lie to it and I'll tell it it's a GNOME authenticator JSON file, or, you know, just trying to get anything in. And it did go in at one point, but it was all wrong, and that kind of confused me. Now what I really should have done was do a test, like a test entry, and then and use that as kind of the basis for all future entries, you know, to sort of see how pass wants to get the information, and then just keep doing that from then on. But actually, if we if we try that, if we do pass insert, and then let's just say that we're doing a a password for example.com, enter password for example.com, well, we'll just do bogus123, retype bogus123, and that's all it asks me. So now if I say pass uh, search example, it, it does reveal that I have an example.com. It hits on the name of the of the password entry. And then I can do, uh, I think, just pass example.com. It prompts me for my GPG password, and it returns for me bogus123. So that that works, it's just not complete. It's not exactly everything that I would need for that password entry. Now, I guess the problem here is that pass doesn't know what you want to store in it. And on one hand, that's a strength of pass, because really what what we're doing with pass, what I'm doing with pass, is replacing the Firefox password manager. But what I realized around the same time, when I was trying to figure out the format of, the, of each entry, I realized that there really wasn't a format for each entry. This was raw GPG. So this is basically an encrypted notebook. Like if you if you want to think of it that way. This is a, a notework a notebook entry system. It reminds me a little bit of uh, what was that desktop application a couple of years ago with Tom Tomboy, I think is what it was called. Tomboy Notes or something like that. Or or you know any one of those notebooks where you it's sort of like this package a journal package and you're 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 meant to make entries into it maybe each day or or you're supposed to have it open on your desktop so that when something occurs to you or, or you have a quick note to jot to yourself you can open this thing and it's a self-contained you know just like a notebook in real life this is that's kind of what pass is i mean that's that's the idea here you can make these entries but they're all encrypted and then when you want to read one of them you you do a search for that thing just by typing pass and then whatever you named that note and then you get the or, or you just type pass you don't even have to if you don't know the no, name of the note you just want to list pass bang there's your list of of all the things all the entries that you have made and then you can read and 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 insert new ones or remove old ones or edit them and so on. So, in that sense, it's it's quite flexible, and and it's almost a disservice to to, to think of it as a password ma manager because it's it's not really. It's it's an encrypted note manager that may or may not contain passwords. Okay, so back to my use case, which actually is to use it as passwords. And as it turns out, there is kind of a, a a format for username, password, and URL. Once I figured that out, I simply started formatting it that way, and, and then it, it, it made sense. I'm going to open up my work laptop here as I speak so that I can... I haven't, I haven't done this on my personal laptop yet, although I do 
absolutely in, intend to. But the the bulk of my my efforts were spent just on getting the the work laptop up up and running with pass. So if I look at, for instance, I'll just do a pass on this, uh, well, for you, dear listener, I'll call it example.com again. And the, the format is the password as the first line of the file. The second line is user colon space, and then your username for the site that you are, that you are uh, logging this for. And then URL colon space, and then the URL beginning with HTTP S whatever colon slash slash, and then www.example.com. That's your file. That's your pass file, or each that's each individual note. Save that. Look it up, and from then on, you can refer to it whenever you need to. It's married to your GPG key or whatever GPG key you gave it when you created the, the, the password store. You did the, the pass init command. So as long as you have that key available, uh, this, is, this is as good as gold. Now, it's all encrypted, so as long as you trust GPG, you could put this anywhere you want. You could commit it to a, a Git repository somewhere. I don't know why you would do that, but you could. You could put it on your server somewhere. It's up to you. It can it can easily sync across your devices, in other words, because it is just it's a bunch of little encrypted files, and it's pretty easy to sync that across devices if you kind of know what you're doing. I mean, it, it might be laborious for someone who doesn't know about rsync to keep those two devices in sync, but if if you know a little bit about just sort of how to manage large collections of files, which I, I feel that's one of those things that you kind of start to get pretty quickly in Linux. I could be wrong. That could be a could just have been my path during Linux and, and sort of what I figured out early on. So I think everyone does. But I, I, I've gotten from other people that I, I feel like when you start using Linux and really start thinking about how files work and how copy commands work, and how detection of duplication works, you kind of figure out, okay, well, I can do this. This is easy. I can compare these two things or use an application that does that for me and then sync, you know, and, and keep these things in sync, whether it's your computer and a server or two computers on your own network. Easy to do that with Pass, I feel. You have access to this thing no matter where you are or what you're doing, potentially. I mean, you could carry it around on a thumb drive, too, if... if if that's the way that because pass doesn't pass doesn't care where your pass password store is located it, it you can override the location of of your password store whenever you use this it doesn't care it'll look at any collection of gpg encrypted files and treat it as a password store okay so the question that's kind of left over is if if we've got this password store thing on the computer how how does it how does it interact with Firefox and that's an important question because my my use case from the very beginning was 
that I, I wanted this thing to manage the passwords for my Firefox instance instead of using Firefox itself. Well, it turns out that there is an extension that someone wrote for Password Store to interface with Firefox. It's called PassFF. You can find it referenced off of the Password Store extension uh, web page the, the, on the website where they mention all the extensions. Go there. You'll find this a, a link to this place. You can grab an officially signed uh, version of this of this Firefox extension from the the add-on site of Mozilla. So if you just if you look for PassFF, you'll find it. It's by Jay Vinant, Nathan Wallace, and Thomas. You can add it to Firefox with a click of the button as usual. And you'd think you'd be done, except if you try it, it'll tell you that you can't use it yet because it doesn't have a, a host application. So in other words, what's happening here is that there's no connection between the Firefox extension for Pass and Pass itself. I haven't looked too deeply into why it needs this, but the the what you need is a an application to talk to Firefox. The application is called passff-host and you can download that from github.com passff/passffhost. So so the same place where you got the or where you may have uh, found the the link to the add-on so the place with all the source code of PassFF, they also host they host the host, uh, and you can download that and install it. The way that they recommend you do that is you run a curl command and pipe it into Bash, which, if you'll recall, I critiqued QBash for doing that when when I was talking a little bit about QBash, and I have to say I'm going to critique. PassFF-host for doing that. I just I think it's bad practice to train Linux users to to normalize that. I guess to say, hey, you can just grab you can grab code from the internet and run it blindly in your browser and I understand in your terminal. And I understand that the the unspoken intent there is that they will look at the script that they're about to run first and then run it. I just don't think realistically people do that, and I think it's a bad, bad, bad thing to start training people to do. So instead, you can just install, you can grab the source code from GitHub, and and slap it together uh, from 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 either the source code itself, or you can look at the script that they do provide, install hostapp.sh, and and either okay it or mimic what it does if that if that makes you feel better. I mimicked what it did because that made me feel better. Uh, I'll probably write a Slack build for this at some point. I just haven't gotten around to it. So once you've got that installed, restart Firefox. Firefox won't tell you that. PassFF won't tell you that. PassFF host won't tell you that. But you do need to close Firefox down and then reopen it. But upon relaunch, PassFF connects to PassFF host and now you've got access to your pass database, as it were, from within Firefox. It's really, really nicely done. Very elegant. So your username and password fields on whatever site that you're signing into will, with PassFF installed and active, 
has a little gray circle icon on the far right. And if you click that, it looks, it runs in the background a command to 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 search for you know the current URL in your pass database, as it were. I, I keep saying database, but it's actually just a pass collection, I guess. Your password store, and if it finds it, it it shows you that yes, you've got you've got that in your password store. You click on the the name of the of the site that you're that you're looking to autofill the form with, and it it does indeed it, it autofills the form. And you know what's really nice? There's even a feature, and this seems silly when I first saw it. I I thought that's a little bit that's a little bit silly, but it's it's fantastic. It is the autofill and submit option. So this is initially available up at the top. So there's a once you install the extension, in addition to the little icons in in your username and password fields, you get a little icon up at the top of your Firefox window, and along with any other extensions like U U Block uh, or or whatever you may have installed, um, and you can click on that. And when you find something that that matches you can click fill and submit and that auto fills the form the username and the password for you from your password store and it clicks the submit button or the okay button or you know whatever it, it sends a, a return signal so that the site not only auto fills the URL and password but it it continues to it, it then logs in now that seems silly cuz it's you're you're thinking yeah but i just all i had to do is click a little button and, and it filled it. Surely I can I can click the sign in button myself. That one that one click that it saves you it's it's magical. It is so magical. And and in a way it's kind of a a, a little it's a bonus that they're throwing your way because you're you're using something non-standard. You're not using the built-in Firefox thing. And I I I feel like Firefox the built-in Firefox you know it. It fills in stuff the moment you're at the site, right? You don't have to you don't have to click on anything to, to tell it to fill a name in. It's just it's just there. So the fact that you had maybe you had to click for password store to to to, to get the entry for you, the fact that it it has that option to fill and submit, it's just it's one of those things that I just can't. The the first couple of times that it was doing it, I just I, I thought I'd. I thought I'd discovered a, a, some great new technology. It just felt so good for it to do that. So really, really nice integration. There is apparently a, a, a pass extension for Chrome as well. I urge you not to use Chrome if you can help it. There's Chromium. That would probably work with this extension. I have not, I have not tried it. I haven't tried that particular extension with anything Chrome well, Chromium-based, which obviously would be Chromium, but I think also uh, Vivaldi and Brave, I, I, last I checked, both of those were Chromium-based. So that it, it would probably work in those as well. So no matter what you're using, there's probably integration or what browser you're using. There, there's quite possibly pass integration, and the integration is very nice. It's very fluid. It's just a little bit of extra setup, but after that, you're done. And, and at this point, as I've said at the beginning of the show, the top of the show, I would rather spend a little bit of time setting this up for myself 
than I would spending another three hours of my life trying to reverse engineer, or not even reverse engineer, trying to trying to rip from a database the information that I entered to it in the first place, and certainly would rather do it do it locally, so to have to set up a little bit extra locally than to submit all of my usernames and passwords and sites that I visit to Firefox account manager or Chrome accounts or Google accounts, whatever. Just not, not interested in that either. So that's Pass. It's a really, really nice application. It is, it, it's in a way just painfully simple, but it's also just so painfully minimalistic as well. And by pain, I mean good, because it's actually perfect. Now, this is all said without fair comparison to anything else. You know, I don't, like I say, haven't actually used KeePass, and I feel bad about that, and I should have tried it years ago. Never did. Thought it was cloud-based. Should have tried it. Should have tried it, you know, a year ago. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Point is, I've discovered Pass, and it has fewer dependencies than KeePass. At least as far as I know. Now there might be a terminal-only version of KeePass, which I, I ought to check out. Maybe that's really cool. Maybe there's a great reason to try it. But at least at least so far, it seems to me like Pass pretty much does everything I need it to do. So I'll probably continue to use it unless I hear from someone. Hint, hint. Uh, if I hear from someone, you know, about some killer feature of KeePass that that Pass clearly does not feature, then then maybe I'll try KeePass. Although, based on Cobra 2's luck with getting me to try anything new, uh, it'll probably be three years from now. But, I mean, still, that's three years, and I'll be a KeePass user. I mean, who knows? And you could be, you could be the person to, to, to make that change. But really, yeah, Pass. I mean, if you haven't, if you're not using Pass, or if you're not using KeePass, or you're not using any kind of password manager get pass for yourself it is well worth it it's brilliant it is what you should be using there's almost no excuse not to use it the only excuse is that as i say there is a little bit of setup um and that setup may involve installing the 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 program itself pass it, installing the firefox extension installing the firefox extension host app to get that going and then on top of all that, you have to import all your passwords, probably, or at least you have to input them somehow. And then on top of that, you might have to set up some system by which Pass is synchronized across your devices, because you wouldn't necessarily want it just to live on one device. So you, you, you kind of have to think about all that stuff, and sometimes I know that that's the stuff that kills it. You know, It's just that much coordination and planning and kind of like this idea that, oh, I want to do it right. I want to do it right from the beginning, so I'm going to really think about this. I'm going to design a great system for myself, and then that just becomes such a monumental task that it's put off for the three years, for example. Um, and I get that. But if you're at the point when you're hearing this, whether it's the first time you're hearing it or the second time you're hearing it, if you're at the point of actually needing to switch... To, to a password manager, a good local encrypted password manager, then pass is something that I am officially recommending. It's just a really nice little program, well worth trying out.
thank you for listening to this episode. I will be back, as you can imagine, next week. I am going, by the way, to San Diego, California, in August. I'll be there for the Open Source Summit. So if you're going to be at that convention, uh, let me know. Maybe we can meet up. I will also be in Raleigh, North Carolina, the week before Open Source Summit. And then I'm going to do all of that again. Well, some of it. I'm going to go to Raleigh again in October, 13 through 15. If any of those times coincide with a location with which you are going to coincide, do let me know. I would hate for us to be in the same physical location and have no idea. That would be silly. So, I mean, it's happened before, trust me. It's happened several times before to me. So do let me know if that's going to uh, to happen. Open Source Summit, and then All Things Open. Those are the two conventions that I'm going to. August, October, respectively. Again, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Sometimes I prefer not to have my superpowers, if only to make my adventures a bit more difficult. <laughs> <laughs>